Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? I'm your host, Maya Hooper. On today's episode, I'm joined here with my guest, Kylie. Uh, Kylie, I'm really looking forward to being able to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me on today. Um, my name is Kylie Smith. Um, I'm 27 years old. Um, I met my ex-fiance in November of 2017. Um, we met at a long-term care facility that I was working at, and I have currently been out for two years now. Perfect. Uh, so Kylie, obviously this podcast is created for survivors of abuse, whether it be, you know, the many forms of abuse, uh, everyone who comes onto this podcast and who shares their stories uh, has been a survivor of some form of abuse, you know, emotional, psychological, uh, physical, sexual. Um, So there's always a starting point, right? And that's kind of like the most intriguing part to me, I think about hearing people's stories is that when it started how early on did it start and all of the details that form into really how it progressed. Um, so if you would just go ahead and just share with us how the abuse started and, and we'll go from there. Okay, perfect. So, um, and just a backstory. So we met in 2017, um, but we, he wasn't released from the long-term care facility until March of 2018, which is where um, basically we started dating pretty much right away. But the abuse did not start until December of 2018. Um, He was slowly trying to isolate me from family and friends. Um, I am very um, an extrovert. So I have a lot of friends, a lot of families, and I am all into like going to events. Um, I had FOMO. So like if there was something coming up, I wanted to make sure I was uh, in that And my, one of my friends, who is also a sorority sister of mine, um, she uh, asked me to be a bridesmaid in her wedding. And so I told him about it, said, Hey, like, I know we're living in Nashville, Tennessee right now. Um, It's going to be a long drive to get all the way to South Georgia. I just want to give you a heads up. Um, But I would love for you to come with me and to meet my college friends at the wedding. So I was super excited about going. Um, And then a couple of weeks or like a week before the wedding um, that I was supposed to be in, I had already purchased my bridesmaid's dress and everything. He goes, Kylie, um, the metal in my leg, I don't, I'm, it's not doing well. It's, um, I think I'm going to have to go to the hospital and I'm going to have to like figure out something about it because, and I don't think I'm going to have to be able to go to the wedding with you. So I was like, well, I guess, we'll figure something out. Like, I guess I'll have to tell her, like, I'm not gonna be able to go and, um, be at the wedding. So I would never forget like making that phone call at work to her explaining, like I wasn't able to come and turns out it was basically, he didn't want me to go and be around friends. It was his uh, excuse to, um, for me to slowly do the isolation process that these abusers do. Um, And I, I think one thing I wanted to just add is like that I think sometimes like people who haven't experienced abusive relationships think that there has to be this really big, really crazy thing that has to happen for it to begin. 
And really it starts quite silently um, and quite, quite slowly. Uh, And like you said, uh, he was, he was isolating you right from your friends and from your family. Right. That's correct. And that's what is like a red flag to you is when you um, start not seeing your friends and family in your support system. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so that following January, so this would be January, 2019, we talked about getting married. Um, We, um, I felt like he was the one Um, I was like, I felt like God had dropped him in front of my doorstep at this, you know, where I was working at. Um, because I had taken a year off from dating um, for my previous relationship and to um, really um, grow with my relationship with the Lord. And so I thought, okay, this one, this is the one. And so as Southerners and other people, we are very much into like, you better ask your parents permission um, before you can marry them. And so I told him, I said, I just want you to make sure my mom and dad, you ask them before you get down one knee. Like that's what I want. Right. So I'll never forget my parents driving up from Georgia to um, Nashville. And um, he basically, I thought he was going to take them out to dinner and just like pay for it and to like ask there, but he ended up just letting them come in. And then he just like, my parents started asking him questions about like, Hey, what's your testimony? Like, what's, you know, are you a Christian? Like, can you tell me some background and everything? And so he just kind of like beat around the bush. Um, He was very like, um, he talked more about himself. It was never about trying to get to know my parents. Um, He talked about like more of control about how his family was well off and how his mom was going to buy me a wedding dress and how they were going to pay for the wedding and all this stuff. And that was like a stab in the um, stab in the heart to my parents. Um, because that's just like a mom and girl, mom and daughter, um, dream to do that together. Mm-hmm. And he never, my parents never fully said yes, um, to him, um, marrying me. And so I thought they had said yes. And so I come back, um, cause I was just outside walking the dog and he got down on one knee and I said, yes, of course. And my parents had to fake it. They had to like fake, like they were happy, but they really weren't. They were like, he didn't even ask permission. It was just very, um, into himself and they were nervous for what this next season was about to bring. Your parents had sensed that something was wrong. Oh yes, definitely. They sensed it the first day they met him when he said that he gives, 90% to himself for knowing how to survive and only like 10% to God. And my parents were like, for you surviving a motorcycle accident, that was all Jesus. Like the stories that you tell me what the doctors have said, like that is all Jesus. Don't tell me that you saved yourself. And so that was like the number one red flag to you as well. Yeah. I think it's just interesting. Um, how people on the outside, um, well, it's not necessarily interesting, but how the people on the outside can see it a lot more clearly than obviously we can, because like we're emotionally invested. And so we see what we, we hope they 
we see like who we, who we hope that they are and what kind of, we want to see. Um, but the people on the outside often, not always, but often have a different, a different perspective because they're not emotionally invested. And also I think for people who are intuitive, like parents, uh, it's easier for them to detect uh, somebody who's just kind of uh, full of crap. (laughs) Exactly. And we can all attest that we wish we would have listened to our friends and family because they're the ones that know us the best and want um, a life that is beautiful and happiness. So that is like, please listen to them. I wish I would have sooner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. So, okay. So he proposed to you and then what happened? Uh, what happened after that? Do you said, yes, I'm assuming. Yes, I did. And, um, that's when things really started heating up. Um, I was living with, um, my roommate, um, I was living, he was in Franklin and then I was in Bellevue, which is like just, uh, West of Nashville in an apartment. And after we got engaged, he made comments to me of like, show me commitment and move in with me. And so my, this is what I believe in. Like, I just feel like I get convicted about that. Like, I don't believe of course in sex outside of marriage and then living together before you're married. Um, I just feel like that's special. And like, once you are married and to um, grow together and on that. So those were all my morals and values. And I was, my parents were like, Kylie, I just don't feel like you should do that. Like, I just, you know, I know your morals, I know your values and what you believe in. And they tried they talked me out, try to talk me out of it. But again, my mind was, my brain was diseased by him. Mm-hmm. So I ended up moving in after our lease was up in, um, let's see, it was April, it was like May of like 2019. And I started like moving my stuff and I was fully moved in. And so that's also when like the verbal abuse started happening as well. And I think it's important to recognize that, uh, I know for some of our listeners, uh, they're not Christians, which is fine. Um, we all have our own beliefs and, and, um, I'm a Christian, uh, and obviously I hear, can hear you're a Christian. Um, and so being raised though, Christian and having, um, certain morals, uh, even just, I think it's important, like recognizing that he did not respect your morals and he did not respect what you believed in. And I feel like that's just like one-on-one of like dating and, and, especially when you're going to like propose to somebody and spend your life with them. And I think just like kind of like, you can see him like slowly as I'm listening, like pressing the, the, he's like pushing the boundaries with you, you know? So, um, yeah. Okay. So you moved in with Mm -hmm. him then. Right. Okay. And then, so fast forward to, um, September that year, Um, I was getting ready for, to go to my sister's wedding in, um, Georgia. So they got married about an hour, um, South of Atlanta. And so we're on central time, Georgia's on Easter time. So I knew the time difference. I knew like I should be there early. I want, I'm the maid of honor. I need help out. 
And um, it was like a five hour drive. And I knew that we had to go through Chattanooga and Atlanta. Um, I told him the night before I said, hey, like, I just want to make sure that we get on the road early to help with my sister. And then that morning, he began to make an excuse again about how he's in pain and how he needed to stop to make at the CBD store. Um, I was like, okay, but be quick. And backstory, the CBD store is 30 minutes away from the interstate to where we needed to be at. So just that was adding time. And I was super nervous about getting into the Friday afternoon rush. So we are now, after we had left the CBD store, we are in Atlanta finally, and we are in bumper to bumper traffic. I start freaking out and my parents are calling me and I told them that um, we cannot be there in time for the rehearsal. Um, my ex told me that I should say the reason that we are late is because I was having a hard time and was having a crying episode. He began telling me what to say and how to say it. And I did that. I basically lied to my family and missed my sister's rehearsal. I will never forget the disappointed look I received from everyone. And he walked in in shorts. Everybody was dressed up and had missed going over the where we should stand on her wedding day. Um, and I was, did not realize it though, but he had gaslight in me and to make it seem like it was all my fault of why we were late. And in reality, it was all him. And to this day, it still hurts me and it haunts, like she's forgiven me, but there's still like, it sucks. Um, because there are some pictures of like the rehearsal and, um, with the bridesmaids and my sister and I was not a part of it. So, so at this point, you, you had obviously been already under like, uh, like he was, he had been like manipulating you and uh, isolating you. And it sounds like incorporating like the gaslighting, which comes like side by side with all of these other things. Um, and it, for you, you, you genuinely felt like the reason that you guys were late was because of you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I thought that would be, I thought I was doing him a favor and helping him out. Um, but in reality, it's one of those um, manipulation tactics that they um, are known to use. So people with borderline personality disorder or narcissism. So and I, they have it. I think it's really important like to note here as well. Um, I really like uh, not like, I don't like your outline, like your, how we're starting this off. I mean, like, it's terrible. Like, I hate that people have to go through that, like just unhealthy and toxic relationships. Uh, but like talking about it, um, how this here started off quite naturally. Um, it's not like in the other episodes where I don't know if you've had a chance to listen, but yes, I have. I loved all of those. Yeah. Yeah. They're, some crazy stories and you know they started off like I know one um near is like from the wedding night um and with yours it's like this is a situation where it could easily be overlooked or excused or dismissed which it was for you you overlooked it and even though you were upset that you missed this big life event for your sister 
you made an excuse for him, right. To protect him. Right. And I think it's really like worth noting here, how in relationships that are unhealthy, uh, the desire to protect the partner um, is really high because you don't want your family to think of them uh, in a certain way and you want to protect their image at all costs, Uh, Mm -hmm. even if that means like leaving your defense for uh, the sake of protecting them, right? Right. Um, And so it's also not just only protecting him, but it's, it's like, he's um, killing uh, two birds with one, with one stone because your family, uh, it has now created a uh, little sever in like your relationship with your family, because like the way that it's reflected on you, uh, you know, that, that you, it was your fault and that you, uh, you were late or you, you know, this is the reason why you guys couldn't tend. Um, it, it creates like, it creates uh, a disunity, a discord. And then he is uh, free from all of it, kind of just watching everything sort of like unravel. Um, so it's, it's, it's really like scary because it's so, it's something so small, but like you can, like, I think, I don't know how it is for you, but like taking a step back and really evaluating, like, where did this start? When did I realize something was wrong and what was, what was actually happening um, that was uh, creating sort of like laying out the, uh, you know, laying out the backdrop for this entire thing to unravel because I can see pretty clearly like what he's doing. Um, But when you're in it, you have no idea. You know, and your brain is just so diseased and you like, um, the whole, like you're in that trauma bonding and you're in that abuse cycle. Um, so you're literally going from like the honeymoon phase to like, um, you know, everything is on, you know, you're walking on eggshells and then something, the abuse happens. Okay. Then they apologize. And then it starts over. So you're like, you know, it's like a mousetrap or like a mouse wheel is what I mean. It's just, it goes on and on. And like, you don't know who you are until literally somebody can like pull you out or, you know, you get down on your knees and you, you have nothing else to do, but to look up. Right. Yeah. It's really like a psychological, I mean, it's like, this is like such a funny way to describe it, but like, you know, those places, like you could go to a carnival and there's like the mirror, uh, like the mirror museum where like you can walk around and like, there's like a bunch of mirrors and you have to like escape the room. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Yeah. That's kind of how I, how I felt like I'm like in this like trapped thing and I can't get out. And I like, I like, I'm like trying to go in all these different directions to try and find answers and figure out what's happening. If this is normal, if like I'm going crazy, if I'm like imagining things or like, I just literally felt like I was going insane. Exactly. And you don't even, but then when you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't know who you are anymore. Like you don't even recognize yourself. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. Um, and I think here, like you wrote, uh, I will never forget the disappointed looks I received from everyone. Um, do you feel like 
do you still feel like that sort of like shame that comes with missing the rehearsal or has that been something that has you've you've been able to kind of like I used to for a while but with counseling um I have been able to work through that shame and um it's really cool now I'm actually like living with my sister right now and so I feel like I have gained so much more time um because God works miracles out she um because she's she's still married but um she's in crna school here in south carolina so i feel like god redeems that and he like you know takes that shame and uses it for his glory and has used it for me to help other people so i used to feel a lot more but i don't anymore and so um god is so good so i give it all to him honestly for that i love that i love that there's that like redemption piece that you added um because that is, that is so, that's so the Lord. Um, and that you're able to have that relationship with your sister and that's beautiful. Um, okay. So, uh, let's go into November 10th. I know this okay. is a really, uh, traumatic, uh, experience. And so I'll just go ahead and if you want to just, uh, go into, uh, that for us. Okay. Yeah. So it was November 10th, 2019. It was a Sunday and I will never forget, um, this day because this is when I lost my virginity to him. Um, and the sexual abuse happened. I remember, um, I was really good about saying no and I kept on and on. Um, and I wanted to save myself for marriage, but he took it away. I was receiving a verbal threat that we are either going to the courthouse to get our marriage license, or um, I was going to have sex with him. I knew deep down that I did not want to get the marriage license yet um, because the wedding was several months away. And, and I knew deep down that this relationship was toxic and it wasn't good. So I didn't want to like speed up that process. And then in my mind, have to, to get like a lawyer if I wanted to break off that uh, marriage license. So um, be, my friend at that point, my stomach was an actual absolute pit. I was not eating and I was torn between him and my family. And they were trying so hard to get me out because they knew they had a little bit, little bit of time before April 22, which April, April 18, 2020, I cannot keep up with the years now, um, when our wedding date was, mm-hmm. and after the sexual abuse happened, like, I'll never forget that's when the shame really came on. And that's when I really felt so guilty. I felt like I wasn't good enough. I felt like I lost a piece of me that I had been saving for, um, that special person, Um, I remember going into the guest bedroom and just like crying and just like writing in my prayer journal, like, God, I don't, I have no words. I don't know what to do. And just no, 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 how to like get out or how to like take the next step or how to even like make it through this day. Um, I was just like a basket take case of like losing my hair. I was barely eating. He was making me use CBD to even eat um, and making threats. Like you're not going to go to New York looking like that skin and bones and embarrassing me and my family. 
So I had it just coming all around me. Um, and I was just absolutely miserable. I was literally surviving and not thriving. Um, I couldn't express my emotions to him. That was not as he was not someone who I could do that to. It was more along the lines. If he was happy, everything else was good. But if he like started like getting into those moods and started like making these verbal threats, it was almost like I had to be at his beck and call and somehow fix the situation or be by his side or answer my phone or like make it all better. It was never about what I needed. My emotional, physical, spiritual needs were. So a couple of things. So backtracking to the sexual uh, abuse, uh, did, did you, so you were saving yourself for marriage and he pressured you into um, giving that away to him. And did it like, I guess my question is like, what was it like, because sexual consent, um, it keeps coming up and I posted something on Phoenix Instagram the other day about sexual consent and, uh, what it is and what it isn't and what it isn't. I had, uh, noted, uh, you know, like, uh, it isn't, um, something that's like forceful. It isn't something that is pressured. Uh, it needs to be like a mutual thing. Um, and I think sometimes people in relationships, toxic relationships, um, oftentimes get pressured into having sex because they feel like they owe this to their partner. And it happens so frequently in people like couples who are together or who are married. And that's wild to me because my eyes have just been opened to this, to this, like uh, that this is a thing. Um, And so I guess what I, I just, I know that there are people listening who have experienced this or who, who unfortunately may come across a situation like this in the future. Um, what do you think is, what were things, like, what were things that you like experienced in that, that you would say like, okay, th- this is like clear warning or clear indicators that like, that like this person is um, like not, do you know what I'm trying to say? I'm like, yeah. Think, yeah. Um, I would say like, pushing the boundaries. Um, so they, I tried my best to set them up. And sometimes as women, we can be, um, I personally, there's that fight flights or, um, deer in headlights. So I was always like the deer in the headlights. I wanted to make it better. I did anything. And sometimes with women, we feel like we can't stand up, but if you don't feel if it's not in a loving and nurturing way, the sexual experiences, and you're not feel comfortable, stand up. Um, I know it's so hard to, but the earlier warning signs was like, just ways to like, yeah, push my boundaries. He's like, let's do this. Let's do that. And I would try to say no. And it just like kept on and on. And I, instead of like talking about it, adult to adult, 
it was very childish. It was very like, well, you don't want to place me or I've had, it's been so long since I've had my last, um, my sexual experience with an ex. Um, so when they start making those comments and everything, um, that's when I really noticed like the, all the red flags, but in my mind, I guess I was like, well, I don't know. I'm going to get, um, I mean, I know I love him, but I still want to wait till marriage. Like I know I'm engaged, but I still want to wait. And I tried my best to explain that to him, but he was like, well, I put a ring on your finger. Like what else do you want? And I'm like, uh, the vows. So it's different for each situation, but I encourage women like, please stand up. Or if you don't feel confident, like, please uh, get a, go to a counseling session. And that, um, that could definitely tell their character, whether, whether they're willing to work that out with you with some, with a third party. And then that can also, they can help you get that confidence to work through it, knowing that another person is in the room and you can kind of like do role plays and like talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, what did, what was his response afterwards? Cause I know you said that you were obviously beside yourself. Um, that's a very vulnerable thing, right? Like giving up your virginity. That's huge. Yeah. Uh, what was, how, what was he like after the experience? Um, he went back into the abuse cycle of the honeymoon phase. Um, he like he just wanted to keep on and he then took it more as like a way for him to get pleasure and for him to more, more so boss me around and use me as like a puppet. Um, it wasn't like a nurturing and like loving and just like get like a fun time. It was, Hey, I'm on the bed. Come up here. Stop what you're doing. It was the more like that. And so I'll remember like having to like stop cooking dinner to go do this, or he would like yell at me. And it was a way for him to like, in my mind, I didn't want to be punished. So I did it. And so it was just a back and forth mind game that he was playing with me. What were like some of the forms of uh, punishment that you were afraid of? Happened. Some, uh, some of the punishments, let's see. He would, he knew that I loved to go to events like weddings and like movies. Um, and he knew that I wanted him to participate in those with my friends. If we ever got invited to like, either like go bowling or something with friends. So his way of punishment for me was he made him make an excuse and not going. And so most of the time I would either go by myself or I didn't go at all. Mm-hmm. Or in another way, I don't like the GD. So when um, he would also use that and like start yelling at me um, as a way to punish me and get under my skin. So you kind of just felt like by pleasing him, you would be able to avoid, uh, you would be able to avoid these, these ways that he was, yeah, control, like creating a kind of like a power and control thing exactly and at this time too we were going to counseling like I was like we I was going separately and I was we were going together I honestly wish the counselor would have pulled me aside and said hey you are in a domestic violence relationship I wish 
I wish you would have pulled me aside and said that. Like, I had no idea. I honestly was trying to fix the symptoms, which were like, Kim not getting along with my family. Um, that was what I was trying to fix. And I was trying to fix his outbreaks, his outbursts to me mm-hmm. rather than the real trauma and everything and how he was as a person, I can't fix that. And I wish I would have known that, but looking back, um, he had been working with that counselor for a long time. And I think, um, his parents were paying for the marriage counseling. And so I think it was more, that's why, or she probably honestly doesn't even know about the mess violence or like didn't catch it, but I wish I wish you would have told me and given me like, Hey, I know this about him. Like, don't get out of this. Mm. You said something that <laughs> is so good. You said, I was honestly just trying to fix the symptoms uh, until I realized that I can't fix the person. And just like, wow, that's so powerful because, because like me too, <laughs> like I, can relate so much to that, just wanting to focusing on the symptoms and trying to fix like the moods or, uh, the responses that he would have his, like his anger or, uh, you know, his withdrawal, like trying to find solutions. But I took me a really long time to realize I could not change him. Like it was so much deeper than that. And it makes me just like so sad and frustrated hearing that you guys were in counseling and that no one told you like, this is an abusive relationship. And I want to note here for people listening, like, like Kylie I'm going to ask you a question. Did he ever hit you? No, but I kind of feel like it would have happened if I did get married and he really had control of me. No, for, for sure. For sure. But what I wanted to just really emphasize here is that he never hit you. And I feel like there are so many people who I'm interacting with lately who they come to me and they have these stories or they go to counselors or friends or family. And there's, there's a whole backlog of abuse happening, gaslighting, uh, uh, isolation, um, sexual abuse, uh, emotional abuse, psychological abuse. But that one question is being asked first, which is, are they hitting you? And you're like, no. And they're like, well, then you must not be being abused. But there are so many other forms. And when you're in a relationship and you are entrusting somebody with your heart and you are spending, you know, a majority of your time with this person, the high amount of, you know, stress and emotional, just like disturbance that I'm sure that you experienced having been in a relationship with him. Um, it was, like you said, a domestic abuse relationship. And that therapist, that counselor should have seen these things and said to you, Kylie, this is not fruitful. This is not healthy. This is toxic. And you need to remove yourself from this, especially because like, you're not even, you're not even married to him yet. And so it's like, you have no reason to have to 
stay beside him. Like this is, you know, what people pressured me into was you have to stay with him because you're married, but like shame on shame on that counselor, because like, you're right. If you would have stayed even longer, like we, we don't know, we can't say yes, hundred percent. He would have hit you, but like the statistics and the chances of it turning into, um, something physical, like, uh, of violence, um, are high, right. It, it would not be on your side. The, the chances are super high. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what I want people to understand that. And that's what I used to think growing up that abuse was just physical, but, mm-hmm. and then I wasn't taught this. So just, just letting you know that, yeah, it, there's comes in all forms and to be aware of that. Huh? Yeah. And I think it just bums me out. And it's just such a topic that I just feel very passionate about. And like, I mean, I don't even know you, but I just, my heart breaks for you because it's just, I know that you've experienced like redemption and you are walking in that freedom and healing, but it's just frustrating to me that you are seeking counsel and that somebody didn't counsel you. Exactly. Yeah. So be aware and, um, make sure to choose one who's going to be truthful and, um, and make those comments to you, even though they might not get paid or you might not come back. Right. Right. Um, if you want to go ahead and, um, sorry, I cut you off there. If you wanted to just continue with, uh, well, you know, whatever you wanted, wanted to share with us. Um, oh yeah. So we're in December 23rd, 2019. Um, I was so excited to be going to Georgia to be spending Christmas with my family. Um, my mom wanted us to come earlier so she could like hang out with us and to for us to debate together and just do fun Christmas things around the town. My ex had shortened the trip by three days um, with me making excuses to my mom like it is raining or he is in pain and needs time to heal before he gets in the car for the five hour drive. Um, my mom never sees me. And so this was like a big deal. And I know she, it just broke her heart that I wasn't going to be there until the 23rd. Um, so that day, that morning, we just finally, we finally decided to wake up and leave. I had the address in my phone and I was directing him. I assumed that he knew like the exit um, to get off to Murfreesboro Murfreesboro on 24 because, you know, the GPS was on and we had made this trip like several times. Um, But no, he wanted me to tell him step by step. And I'll never forget um, him missing the lane. And I told him, I was like, did you not see the exit? Like I told you a mile ago. And he goes, what and slams on the brakes and I'll never forget like going towards the glove box and then pushing back and I was like what in the world like what is going on he started yelling and cussing at me and so we get off the next exit and we go to Chick-fil-a we get food and um he made he made this huge ordeal about him missing the exit and how I didn't tell him and blamed it all on me. I finally, at this point, I yelled back and I said, you know, I don't care. Like at this point, like you don't want to be with my family. Like, you know, it's clear to me. 
you shorten the trip. And so he ended up making a threat and was like, I want to go back home. Like, I don't want to do this. And so by that point I had to tell him, well, I was like, well, if you don't come, like my family's already like at their wits ends with this relationship. And, you know, this is your opportunity to prove to them that, you know, you are worthy of like marrying me and that um, we can get, be cordial together. And so he was like, I guess he wanted to prove a point. So he was like, okay, fine, I'll go. So we ended up getting to Lake Oconee to celebrate um, my cousin's birthday. And my grandma recalls me walking in the door and she was like, thinking in her mind, like, you do not look good. Um, I was a hot mess, no makeup on. My hair was falling out. And my ex was just outside on the phone with his dad and just talking about how he didn't want to be here. And I'll never forget, he walked in and just acted like everything was okay. But in reality, it wasn't. Hmm. And then um, we had it out with my, uh, he had it out with my parents after the birthday party when we got back to my house. And he just, kept on making these comments about like, I know Kylie more than y'all do. And my mom goes, I birthed her. I know my child more than you do. You've only known her for a year and a half. And then he was like, he got so mad. He was like, I can't stay here. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So then I was like, okay, well, I guess we can go to my grandma's house and stay. So we get to my grandma's house and he, um, my grandma's like, Hey, this is going to be your room for the night. And then I always sleep with my, um, I slept with my grandma. Cause again, like she doesn't like us. She doesn't like sleeping together and I wanted to be respectful. Mm-hmm. And so I'll never forget him getting up three times and coughing that fake cough. And he was like, I don't feel good. Like I might have to go to the hospital or something. Like, um, can you come in here with me? And I was like, just go back to bed. Like, it's fine. Like, you know, if you want some medicine, I'll give you some medicine. Mm -hmm. So he tried that three times. And then finally, after the third time I get back to bed and we don't hear his coughing anymore. So he was like faking it. So we wake up and it's Christmas Eve. And I, he was just like, I feel like I'm going to have a panic attack. Like, I don't like it. This is awful. I don't want to be here with your family. And so I think I'm going to go back. So in my mind, I was like, you literally just got here last night. Like, I don't want to leave. I want to spend Christmas with my family. Like I've always been it every year since I was born. And, um, so then I ended up calling his parents and his parents go, Kylie, like, you know, tell him to take a walk, like, or tell him if he wants to get a hotel room, do that. And then he comes back and he goes, actually, Kylie, my parents said that, um, you need to drive me back to Tennessee. And I caught him in that lie because I literally just gotten off the phone, um, with his dad. And so right then there, like my eyes were like slowly opening up. So at that point, I, you know, when somebody doesn't want to stay, you just like, you just got to let them go. Like you're, you can't force it or otherwise everybody else is going to be miserable. So I was like, so he decided to rent a rental car 
and he went back to Tennessee that um, afternoon. And then um, he also said, now I want you back for on Christmas afternoon because my mom told me that I shouldn't be alone for Christmas. So then I started feeling guilty. And so I told my parents that, and I'll never forget them sitting down with me on the front porch in the rocking chairs. And they were like, Kylie, I don't feel comfortable walking you down the aisle. I, my dad was like, I can't do this. This is, he can't even spend Christmas. He can't even spend three days with our family and you value family in your life. They were like, what is it going to look like when you're all are actually married and you want to split the holidays? He's going to just control you and you're just going to be with his family and him and you're never going to see us. So in my mind, that just like crushed me. And I was still trying to please him as, as, as well. So I decided to, after Christmas morning breakfast, and um, I decided to make my way alone back to Tennessee. And I'll never forget like crying on the way there. I didn't want to go back. I didn't want to see him. I didn't want to do anything. Um, and I just remember like, it's just funny today. Like there'll be certain songs that will come on XM and I'll just like, remember those songs being played, like while I was going back up there. Cause at that point I didn't want to listen to Christmas songs. I was not in the Christmas spirit. I was just absolutely miserable and just mad at myself for getting in this situation. Um, I couldn't eat. I was just a hot mess basically. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think, uh, good on your dad for saying like, I can't walk you down the aisle. Like, uh, I know my, my mom sat with me the night before our wedding and she told me that I didn't have to do it. (laughs) And, I remember just being like, so I was so stubborn and I was like, you know, she just doesn't understand. Uh, and looking back, I'm like, dang it. Like I, I wish, I do wish that my family would have said to me, like, I don't approve. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I'm glad that your dad, uh, was able to be like, really like, uh, vocal with you and tell you and call you kind of call you call you out and hold you accountable um so what what made you leave and and how did you do it you guys had been in a relationship for how many how long at this point um at this point it would have been let's see so we're coming up on 2020 so I've almost two years okay two years so yeah mm-hmm. so it was obviously greatly affecting your mental health and your fit, even physical health. Oh yeah. Everybody could see it. And like, I was skin and bones, um, very malnourished. Just, I looked like, um, I could have been diagnosed with anorexia. Mm-hmm. And, but how I got out was the weekend in um, Asheville, North Carolina, we had a mountain weekend with my family and I remember my dad sitting me down again, cause this is his hail Mary, what you call in football. 
And so he was like telling me his story about how he was engaged, but he broke it off because the girl had stolen um, all of his savings that he had accumulated in the military. And he knew that was a red flag. So he broke it off. And so he was vulnerable with me and opened up with me. And he talked about my parents' relationship and how like, you know, they, they fight like that's normal, but they know at the end of the day that they're going to be there for each other and they're going to respect each other. And he was like, I know you want to marry someone like me. Like you told me that your whole life, like, you know, and I was like, yes, I do. And he said, Kylie, he's not the one he's not like me. I don't approve of this. So I was like, help me get out. Like, I was just like, at that point I was like, help me. So he ended up, um, giving me a plan of how to quit my job, how to leave and, um, figuring out the appropriate time to do so. He was like, he's at this point, like my parents have been praying so hard. So he was like, I know God will give me the right time of when you and me, we can like officially leave and you don't have to worry about getting married. Right. And then, um, so the official leaving was, um, it was actually on his birthday. It was March 9th, 2020. I decided to leave. Um, he, I have, I'll never forget taking my Christmas money that my pops had given me. And I decided to bring home Japanese food and celebrate. Um, we had a conversation. He begged me to quit my job and focus on our relationship. Um, he basically thought, he said, my job is causing us to have problems in our relationship. And he said, you are an embarrassment, um, to me and my family, you cannot eat, you're losing your hair and your family does nothing but cause trouble. Um, he said, go in the guest room because I do not want to be around you. He then proceeds to call his best friend to talk trash about me and say the wedding is off that night. I texted my dad, um, my dad, my sister and brother. And I say, I want out. I said, help me. I said, I literally just got yelled out at yelled at for falling asleep while we were watching a movie. The next day, my um, mom, dad, and brother, they came and they told me to meet at a restaurant. And the only thing that I had in my hand was my purse. Um, and I'll never forget, like looking back, cause he had gotten a dog back earlier before we had met. And I remember I got close to that dog and I remember she looking at me at the door, like, where are you going? Mm-hmm. And then that picture will always be in my mind to this day, but I got in the car, um, and I didn't look back and I decided to, he had given me a BMW for, as a, uh, cause he said my car was too old and going to break down. So he gave me that. I dropped that car off. I headed out back to Georgia with my parents and I never looked back. I think it's, yeah, I think it's like you guys were together for two years. And I think like, I mean, you know, like you dodged a bullet, (laughs) like you got married to him it only, it only would have gotten worse, uh, much worse. And so I'm really relieved that he showed you this before you got sucked in to that relationship. Cause I, you know, that I can only imagine like if you would have gotten married, especially hearing that you are Christian and what kind of advice you would probably be getting from people. Um, 
who knows? So I'm glad that he was a walking red flag before you guys got married and that, you know, you had people in your life who could say, Hey, this is not, this is like, this is not going to be fruitful. Like this is not good. Exactly. And, um, just, and then, um, I'll never forget, like I can share like what I wrote in my prayer journal from that day, the night that I had left, it was, um, cause what I wanted to do was just like, get it all out the, what he said and re- verbal abuse and replace it with positive affirmation. But this was a prayer journal, prayer journal entry I had read written that night. I said, dear God, I'm so sad in the way everything had to go down tonight. I feel like I had to choose between my family. I've always valued family and wanted my future husband to do the same. I wanted relationships to be healed and mended, but they can't be. God, I'm just at a loss and need your guidance and direction. You are the one who can make the possible impossible to happen. Jesus, I have no words, but I just need you help me through this. You are good. God, I am so sick of being treated with words of the F-bomb and GD thrown in my face. I'm at a complete loss right now and just need to get my emotions back together. I'm all over the place right now and trying to figure everything out. I'm beyond sad and frustrated with everything. I don't have enough capacity in me to do this. I'm so beat up right now. I need help. Mm. So, and he will help you. Mm. That's beautiful that you're able to have that handwritten letter and that you can, or, you know, entry and that you can look back on that um, and how different your life is from that point to now. Right. Oh yeah. So true. And so now that you're out, um, my favorite part is just hearing what are your visions and dreams now and where you're at now. Um, so I'm currently in Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm currently at Colorado Christian university to become a mental health counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an amazing, uh, boyfriend, but so we're planning where I just booked my venue for my wedding venue. Oh, exciting. Um, so I'm not, I'm not technically engaged, but okay. the wedding industry nowadays, you have to do the venue first. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting married in January. Um, cool. He's respectful, like loves my family, like took my, got the dream of like him taking my parents out this past weekend to ask permission, um, from them. So I, and my dream is to help people to overcome trauma in their life and educate women on abuse. Like, I really wish I knew about these types of men, um, in my life. Like, I wish I didn't know just about like, don't have sex for marriage. I wish I would have known about abuse and like how, you know, this is, um, prominent in that to know that I'm not in the only one and to know that I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor. And I'm so thankful for that. And it just hurts me to my core to know that one in seven women will die because of an abusive relationship. Like those are the statistics. And I want to help change that um, because you can get out. There is help. There's abuse shelters. There are counselors like we are ready to help. And, you know, if you message me on Instagram or I don't care, like I'm here to help. Like I don't, my Instagram is KJ Smith 07. Like if you have any questions, like, please don't hesitate. I will help and provide resources. I love that because it's, <clears throat> it's like a couple of things, like first off, just God's redemption in your life. Um, that's something that like, I 
really, I think, requires a level of faith and hope, (laughs) especially after coming out of like abusive relationships um, for a lot of the, you know, listeners who have been in uh, DV situations or just, you know, toxic relationships, like uh, the ability to like even to even think that there are um, there's a different side to what you've experienced, that there are good, good guys that, uh, that there's a hope in a future. It can seem like it's impossible. And to hear that you are wanting to use your life to be a mental health counselor, that you have somebody who values, respects in and in, in loves you, who has even renewed, like God is even renewing like the moments that uh, your ex had taken away from you. And he is um, marking it and creating, like covering it with um, a beautiful memory, right? Something that is truly redeeming in your life. Exactly. That is so true. Yes. The Lord is so good. I give all the glory to him. It wasn't me or anything. It was like prayers and him. And, you know, like all these, like your story, um, all of these, uh, examples that you have provided, uh, I think a lot of them are even like the warning signs before, uh, uh, physical abuse. Um, he, with the exception of the sexual assault, um, that is, uh, a lot of it was emotional and like, um, uh, um, emotional abuse and like you, I truly like had just, you dodged a bullet, like the Lord really protected you. And I've experienced a majority of these things that you have shared here. And I know a lot of our, uh, uh, the, the women in Phoenix have as well. And, and people outside of Phoenix, anybody who's, um, a survivor of abuse. And, um, so I think it's, it's really important, like that we, um, on this podcast, like my heart is really just not to just share these like crazy, like, you know, some of the stuff that I've heard, it's just, it's wild. Like it just, it sounds really like something that could be on like Dateline, like, just like crazy stuff, but not that yours isn't crazy and not that yours isn't a big deal, but it isn't like people need to hear this because these things are, they blend very easily into, Oh, well, that's just, you know, you guys are just having problems or he just needs to like work on anger management or he just, you know, you guys can figure it out. But like, there's, you listed several gaslighting, um, manipulation, isolation, and he was prepping you for, um, something that would have been, um, much more, uh, it would have derailed your life likely and has derailed a lot of other, uh, women's lives. Some that are now survivors and some that, that didn't make it. And, if you're listening to this and you are in a relationship and you are finding similarities, it doesn't always mean like every unhealthy person is going to be an abuser, but there are red flags and 
there are uh, people like um, Kylie and like myself and others who are sharing their stories, we're sharing these experiences and we're sharing these specific examples because we want you to be able to hear it and to really look at your relationships and ask yourself, really be honest with yourself. Like, do I see similarities in what they're saying and in what I'm experiencing? Because if I would have heard a podcast like this and stories like this, I would have probably left sooner. And I probably would have been able to have my eyes opened. And it would have been clear to me that what I was experiencing was not normal, but I didn't have that. And so I didn't know that it was not normal to an extent. Uh, I just, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know which way was up or down. And so Kylie, I'm really grateful that you came on here and that you shared um, and were vulnerable with, you know, what you've experienced. Uh, that's two years of your life. It's trauma. It It's experiences that you, uh, you had that, um, you know, he attempted to steal and take away from you. And look at, look at God, right. But God renewed and saved and protected you. Oh yeah, exactly. And yeah, I just, and I think about like, too, um, I'm a true crime, like, like I love true crime podcasts and it's evidence too. And just knowing too, like how it takes women seven times before they leave their abusive relationships. That's also the stats. And so, um, because again, of the trauma bonding and how you're, you get so used to the trauma and the, um, from that. And like, you feel like you're not good enough, but just to put it out there, you deserve someone who respects and loves you and will um, treat you like a queen. Um, they are out there. Um, do not settle. Like I heard that and I thought, Oh, that's so cliche, but, um, goodness, like it's so worth it. Like, and I also have that statement. I've also said, it's like, it is so much better to be single, um, than to be in a toxic relationship or abusive relationship. I can attest to that. Like I, I was single, I got a golden retriever and I just like, (laughs) you know, like I was just, you know, enjoying my life. So yeah, don't settle and like enjoy single life. Yeah. I love. Okay. So Kali, what is one thing that you would say to our listeners as a tip? I would say to please look up terms like love bombing, gaslighting, trauma bonding. And because I know that knowledge is power. If I would have known those terms, I would have been able to pinpoint what he was actually doing. And then I also have an understanding of narcissistic abuse and like also borderline personality disorder. I know there's Instagram accounts that you can follow and they give a description of what it is and they tells you what the red flags are. And also have a friend um, that you can pour into and you can tell about the truth about what is going on Um, because you want someone by your side who can like make sure like you were to make sure that you are in it um, and they can like support you and encourage you to get out if you need to. Um, And it's just very toxic. I had that best friend and I'm so thankful she was sending me texts like you are brave right when I was about to leave him. So please find that person. Um, and then also like the quote I thought about, or I heard from another podcast was like, abuse is like a roller coaster. You never know how you got there until you look back. Um, so do not do that. What I did and be aware now, please. It will save you so much heartbreak and pain. And I just, please 
again, message me. I'm an open book. If you have any other further questions or details, um, please let me know. And then um, also last red flag, if you cannot express your emotions, whether you're sad, mad, happy to them, to your partner, that is the number one flag. You should be able to give it to them and they should work you through it and you should be a team. So that's what it should be. Mm, So good. Kali, thank you so much for sharing your story and just, yeah, being vulnerable and open. Um, and also just offering and extending that, that out, um, that offer out, I'll go ahead and tag you in the post. Um, so if any of you want to reach out to Kylie, um, or even just want to, uh, let her know that your, you know, her story has, um, touched you in some way, um, or maybe you relate in some way. Um, I'm sure that you would love to probably hear, hear that feedback, right? Oh yes. I'd love to. Yes. I would love to connect with you and follow you back. (laughs) Perfect. All right, Callie, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, you guys tune in next Thursday. Um, we are going to have a survivor. Her name is Shyla, and her story is uh, powerful. I truly can't get through it without crying um, every single time. It is, uh, yeah, it is uh, something really near and dear to my heart. So tune in next Thursday and we'll see you then.